most of the books that you, at that time in the in the 90s that that you read they were the classics right it was you know Ogilvy Aker even Kevin Roberts but you know, they're all they're great books but they're all men right and just the idea of having a fierce female who's just so brilliant uh, be able to you know navigate the, the marketing world and and to predict such big, huge trends. I mean, Amazon, social media, a million different products, you name it. You know, it was very empowering to me. Hey, what's up, people? It's Brandon Ferris, and you're listening to A Quick Read, an advertising podcast that talks book smarts and street smarts with the people who have been there, done that. Today's guest is strategist, futurist, and brand builder, Jessica DePonte. She's worked at top agencies, bringing insights to brands like Reese's, Disney, and launching Spiked Seltzer. You know what to do. Tune in and turn up. Hey, what's up, Jessica? Hey, how you doing? Oh my gosh, it's so good to hear your voice. It is good to hear yours too. How have you been? Doing good. So the last time we were hanging out was right before the pandemic, right? It was showtime at the Apollo. <laughs> so if those of you listening, um, I met Jessica through a friend of ours, Juan Carlos, who's uh, hopefully we'll be able to get him on the show. He is such a treat. Uh but he introduced me to her, and um, we were at this party in in uh, in Manhattan, and we were on our way to uh, a, a showing of Shaft live at the Apollo, where there was a live band playing the music live of Shaft while the film was on the screen, and it was amazing. And so when I met you, we walk into the party, and there you are. I think you had on like a superfly jacket with fur. I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. It was a really fun night. That was just so much fun. So that was like my first impression of who is this girl? And then we got to talk in and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like we have got to work together. And ultimately, you know, pandemic aside, we did get to work together. I, you know, I called you and I said, hey, I've got this project. You know, we really need to, to do some rapid strategy. And I think I was like, I need you to work over the weekend. And you were like, Okay, and <laughs> you jumped right in, and I I connected you with our um with our ACD Todd, and you guys basically workshopped over the weekend, and then we went and and won this business. Yeah, congratulations on that. Yeah, so it's been a lot of fun getting to know you, and so I was like, man, I have got to get her on the show. People want to hear from a strong female leader who's a strategist, and here we are, and so. Tell me about this book. I, I've never heard of this thing before. And you selected uh, The Popcorn Report by Faith Popcorn. It was you know in the early 90s. And she's like the Nostradamus of marketing. Tell me about this. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, a soothsayer indeed. Uh, you know, I, I chose this book because I, I read this when I was, when I was in college. And, uh, and it had a lasting you know, impact on me because most of the books that at that time in the in the 90s that that you read they were the classics right it was you know Ogilvy Aker even Kevin Roberts but you know, they're all they're great books but they're all men mm-hmm. right and just the idea of having a fierce female who's just so brilliant uh be able to you know navigate the, the marketing world and and to predict such big huge trends i mean amazon social media a million different products you name it you know it was very empowering to me and i think that uh, you have to to see it to be it and you know this is before the Karen Kaplans of the world heading up, you know, Hill Holiday or, you know, yeah. Emily Hayward with with Red Antler. You know, female leads, female CEOs uh, are few and far between, you know, and uh, this book, this book really, uh, really stood out to me. That's awesome. So in college, so I guess, did, was marketing and advertising a choice for you? Like, I think, I think some people fall their way into creative and advertising, but it sounds like maybe you, as maybe you had a strategy, you actually wanted to get in this space. Tell me about your experience in, in, in marketing and creative. Have you always been a part of agencies? Uh, I have. I, uh, I graduated NYU and, and started uh, right into the agency world and, and stayed there for about 20 years until I started Boundless. So uh, loved the energy, loved loved the work, uh, 
you know, it's just so funny. I, I grew up on on that show Bewitched, right? Where <laughs> you, you you know, Larry and Darren, they you know, create a campaign and then they have martinis and, and the end, right? But there's yeah. so many different ways to connect with consumers, you know, and it's not just in the, the campaigns you develop, though that's very fun, but it's in just responding to consumers' needs and answering trends and, and trying to stay ahead of the times. And there's a lot of ways to do that. And I think Fate's a great example of that, you know, being able to to, uh, you know, as she says, braille the culture, see what mm-hmm. the trends are, but then connect the dots to the future. And then instead of playing in the now, start to map the next yeah. and get brands to be first to the future, right? I mean, who doesn't want a crystal ball telling you where to place your bets? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, as you talk, you know, as we get into talking about the now and the next, um, just again, give us a little more color around your past. So did you, were you doing the same function at all of the agencies? I think you were at Saatchi, you were at FCB, Arnold, like, did your role change there? What did you, you know, just sort of briefly, what were the, the big hit learnings at each one of those, you know, moments in time? Like what, what kind of did you walk away with? Oh, terrific. Uh, so I started out in account management uh, and, and was that's working very closely with the clients and managing all of the different teams. So everyone is is working in, in harmony towards the same goal. Uh, and, uh, you know, over the years, I, I just fell in love with with strategy and mm-hmm. product development and, you know, being able to to help clients, you know, connect the dots and, and, and be first the future. And so uh, working on, you know, Mattel or, or Hershey and being able to help guide relaunches, right? I, I worked on the relaunch of Rolo and Syrup and Payday and all Jolly Rancher, a lot of my favorites. But that was because I had passion for that and was able to see, hey, guys, these are really on trend. What can we do about it, right? That portfolio management, you know, what what can we achieve? And uh, slowly started migrating into the strategy world. So ultimately, uh, Hershey was my last client in the, the agency world in a traditional mm-hmm. sense. Uh, and I started Boundless just to focus on, on strategy and insights directly. Yeah, well, it sounds awfully sweet. Do you like that transition <laughs> there, that little Hershey's transition? Uh, I'm getting good. I'm getting pretty good, Jess. You know, I'm, 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 I'm figuring this thing out, you know. Um, you know, so that brings us, you know, to where we're at, you know, now with, with what you're doing with your, your consultancy and, and strategy with Boundless. Um, and, you know, again, brings us back to, you know, this book that inspired you. And, you know, I, I thought it was wild where, you know, here she is writing before the millennium. And, you know, she has this section talking about manifesting truth, taking risks, that sort of thing. And, and she says, um, I resist the idea that a specific year or a specific time makes us do things. Things happen when they happen. The only reason the millennium, which is funny to, to think about now, the only reason the millennium is a big deal is because people want it to be. And so for those listeners that are younger, when the year 2000 was emerging, everyone thought the world was going to end, it was going to blow up, and because you know the computers couldn't turn to... Two zero zero zero, and it was this crazy thing called Y two K. Look it up on Google; it'll amuse you. Um, but in general, here she is writing, like you know, eight years before that's happening, and she's saying she's calling she's calling bullshit. She's saying like this isn't you know, and she's talking about this manifesting of things, and and you know, she's she starts going into her book, and she has this whole section on these trends where she begins to predict all sorts of things. I mean, she, she starts predicting the sophisticated distribution systems, which really we're seeing today as Amazon. So I guess, I guess talk to me a little bit about this idea of um, taking risks and these sort of, you know, manifesting, you know, the truth of what, what's to come next. Talk a little bit about how that book's influenced your, your work from that angle. Absolutely. Well, I think it's interesting what you said about manifesting truth. And, you know, in 2000, at least when I was growing up, 2000, I thought as a kid was going to be, you know, Buck Rogers and jetpacks <laughs> and all that stuff. And obviously yeah. that's not where we are today. Yeah, so all we, all just- we got, all we got was a pandemic. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> so so the future isn't just what you you hope it to be right you gotta there's a lot of factors that that get there and so you know really thinking about where the, the future is going to go uh often it's about you know where the the trends are so so take a look at the pandemic right so really 
accelerated a lot of consumer behavior, right? I mean, there, there's an app for that for just about everything, but mm. it didn't gain the traction that it has in the past year or Blur's Day or the longest march, however you want to <laughs> say it. But but now consumers, it's commonplace to have your, your groceries delivered, right? A lot of yeah. those hurdles have just vanished. They've just gone away. And so, yeah, sometimes the stars have to be aligned, right? I guess a pandemic in this case. Um, but a lot of it has to do with tenacity, right? You be the change you want to see in the world. If you want to have your jetpacks, well, then make it, right? Take a risk. Be bold. Be brave. Think about how your vision can play in different places and spaces. Uh, and, that's, and that's where the magic, the magic is, I think. Yeah. So one of the things, one of the concepts also, you know, as we think about this, you know, um, is she brings up this trend bending, the process of shaping your product or strategy around emerging trends, which, you know, lends me to think about, you know, some of the work you got to do in the spiked seltzer space. So as you talk about taking those risks and you talk about looking for what trends are out there, trend bending, tell me a little bit about that story. I think that's an interesting um, project you got to be a part of. Oh, terrific. Uh, Spike Seltzer uh, was one of my first clients for Boundless. And at the time, it was a, a small startup in Connecticut with this crazy new recipe that we all now know as hard seltzer, right? Mm -hmm. So it was working with them uh, to be first to market, right? And to, to create, I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar category. So it is about taking risks. It's also about aiming high, and knowing what you want from your brand, you know, from the get-go. Uh, and, and they wanted to, to be bought, and they, they were bought by AB InBev, and, and the rest is, is history and Super Bowl spots and all of those awesome things. But in the, in the early stages, you know, there's a lot of decisions to be made in a startup, right? Um, the, the alternative category had already been out there, the, you know, Mike's Hard Lemonade, Zima kind of things, you mm -hmm. know. But that's really different than... Spike Seltzer, right? Spike Seltzer's light. It's, you know, cold pressed fruit. It's just a totally different animal. And it's not cloying like girly drinks. So you have that gender neutral, you know, component there, but you've got to put a stake in the ground. You got to start somewhere. So at first it was, let's own day drinking, right? Yeah. Let's, let's yeah. create a, a slim can packaging. Uh, so it has a bit of, of a more feminine look to it because that was our prime prospect. And, and what's cool now is that, you know, first off, it's a whole aisle, right? There's this hard <laughs> oh, seltzer yeah. aisle. Yeah. So crazy. Um, but a lot of the things that, you know, we were talking about way back in the day are now category anti, right? The slim mm -hmm. can packaging, uh, the color band on the top that connotes the, the, the flavor, these are all choices, right? These are all choices that were made along the way. And then to see them picked up by every fast follower, you know, is, is really satisfying. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, to, of course, see see a client go from startup to Super Bowl. I mean, I, I think that's, that's always the dream. Yeah. Well, in speaking of that dream, I want you to help our listeners get a piece of that dream for themselves. So, so I'm going to get a little anecdotal with you here and maybe hopefully steal a little bit of your secret sauce. So when, when advertisers and, and brands and strategists and agencies are trying to pitch that next big idea, or they think they're sitting on something of an insight that can drive something, how do you get a company? How do you get somebody to buy into something that doesn't exist yet to a future that hasn't been actualized or realized. Now, I, I realize I'm asking you to give me the secret sauce. So all I can say is thank you ahead of time. But like, what do you say to that? Like, how do, how do you do that? How do you equip our listeners to, to be able to start to step in those directions? Uh, it's a great question. And I, I think it's a balancing act. Everyone wants to take risks. They want to think of themselves as a risk taker. But at the end of the day, a lot of marketers, especially, they get analysis paralysis and they, they're not really sure, you know, to where to put that stake in the ground. And, and they try to be all things to all people. Mm, that doesn't really create brand loyalty, right? I can only use this brand or product and it fills this need in my life, right? You want people to fall in love with you. And so that is about taking risks, but it is about having a clear roadmap. And I think that's one of the lessons I, I learned from Faith and certainly baked into Boundless is people just 
keep it simple, right? Mm -hmm. Have that roadmap that can map the trends, right? Almost in an upward trajectory so that you can, you can see where culture is going. You can connect the dots and then you can better predict with empirical data where the future is going to go, right? We're not just sitting here with crystal balls, you know, with hopes and dreams. You know, it is based on you looking at culture with a you know, a more critical eye and and not just trying to be the trendy now, right? Mm. The fidget, the pop socket, those are great brands. But if you want to be a brand with staying power, you've got to be first to market. You've got to predict consumer needs, maybe even before they knew they needed them, yeah. right? And and be able to, to, to do take those risks, um, educated risks. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like, you know, you... People have to be willing to invest in that thinking, right? Like you have to, um, you have to have a certain level of trust to say, okay, you're telling me that this trend isn't going away and that it's actually going to manifest into a truth, and I need to, you know, structure my organization or make some tough decisions, some hard decisions, maybe. Maybe that means killing one line of product to, you know, introduce another one. But, you know, it's about getting that trust and showing people, you know, hey, here's what the data looks like. This is what we're projecting. We think this is going to happen. Everything's pointing towards it. Now's the time to move. Now's the time to invest. It sounds like what a lot of what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, making sure that, you know, everything in its proper place, right? If your portfolio P&G, if your portfolio is crowded with cleaning products, maybe it's time to do a little housekeeping. Oh, hmm. pardon the pun, but a little pruning, <laughs> right? So that you can uh, put the, the attention on the brands that will really thrive and stay focused, right? Yeah. And I think sometimes that's the hardest part is for brands to stay focused. So many brands want to uh, improve people's lives. Well, that's yeah. terrific. How does that guide critical decision-making? right? And then you you kind of end up again in that analysis paralysis, right? Because there's not a clear North Star. What brand doesn't want to do good? Every brand that should be the ante, it's table stakes, right? Mm -hmm. Especially with diversity and inclusion. Just, you know, but how are you going to do it? And that's why working on vision articulation and a sharp mission statement, and then a real clear, you know, one page roadmap of, you know, how you're going to get there, right? Year mm -hmm. one, year two, um, it's just so indispensable because it gets everyone on the same song sheet. And then you've got your teams working working in unison. And, and that does involve uh, being bold and brave, you know, Some, sometimes keeping it simple is is a bold move, right? Some, you know, you can talk for 15 minutes and maybe not, not say as much in a crystallized way, but two words, well, that has power, but that yeah. takes time. That takes time to get to that, that crystal clear uh, clarity. Yeah. You know, and I think the, um, you know, we talk about taking risks and everybody, you know, that's kind of a sexy conversations, right? You know, everybody wants to talk about, we got to take risks and we're going to innovate the new thing and we're going to be the first to market. But I think also the, this book highlights that sometimes that, you know, the, when you get into the work of trends and sort of future casting and that sort of thing, like that has relevance for like solid brands who've been around for a while. And I think one of the ideas that, again, not that it's a, it's a chapter in the book, but an idea that seems to be emerging as I read through was this idea of brand stretch or brand stretching. Um, and I know you've, you've had some experience in that realm. So what are those anecdotes or, or projects or brands you've worked on where you had to stretch, whether it was a category or a geography, like what does that look like when you're trying to take something that's been around for a long time and introduce it in a new way? Oh gosh, that was one of my, my favorite projects uh, just instantly came to mind um, personally and professionally uh, was working with, with Reese's, uh, Reese's peanut butter cups, which. Oh, they're so oh, good. I, no, here's uh, a question. Here's a real, here's a, here's the real question people want to know. And let's start a little controversy on the internets if we can. And those who are starting to listen to the show is a Reese cup better room temperature or frozen. Ooh, ooh. Uh, I prefer room temperature because I like the creamy inside and the way I eat my Reese's is I split it in half. I eat the peanut butter out and I leave the, the chocolate uh, outside. <laughs> oh my gosh. You just introduced, like, I don't even know what, I, I, I can't comprehend that. That You blew my mind with that. <laughs> 
But I'm going. I'm going to go with frozen. I mean, when you get that crunch and the chocolate's got a little extra density to it, and I don't know. I just I've always liked them um, frozen. So if you are listening to the show, you know, connect with us. <laughs> connect with us on in, on Instagram at a quick read podcast on Instagram and chime in. You know, uh, I want to hear from you. How do you eat your Reese's? Okay, now that we've settled that. Now that we've settled that. Um, so what did you yes. do with Reese other than innovate how to suck out the peanut butter? What the heck? <laughs> you know, I think Reese's is a great example because it's a brand. I, I mean, I think everyone loves, you know, the, the yeah. perfect combination of chocolate and peanut butter. That's legit. Right. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, to bring it back just to faith for a moment, like the idea of twisting the familiar is in that book about mm. trends. And, you know, and Reese's did that. It made it, they made a big one, they made small, they made minis, yeah. you know, and you can innovate in that space. And, and Reese's minis is, pr- they're pretty spectacular. Uh, but if you, if you really want to strut and walk the walk and be that, that household name and icon, well, right now that means going global. Yeah. Right. That means taking your show on the road, introducing that perfect combination uh, in new places and spaces. And uh, the project that, that I worked on was introducing Reese's in Mexico, Brazil and China. Wow. Yeah. That sounds uh, like a, lo- an easy task. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because one strategy fits all for all markets. Right. Yeah. I'm just kidding. That, no, that absolutely <laughs> is not true. Uh but I, you know, just to focus on on China because I think it's the most interesting. You know, so oh, so we're bringing this this new sweets you know brand uh, to China. Great. So it's a chocolate bar. No, it's it's two <laughs> cups. Wait, what? Cups? What's a cup? Like no, they're just circles. Oh, okay, but it's it's sweet, right? No, it's salty and sweet. What? Uh, oh, it's filled with peanut butter, and I'll never forget in focus groups it was. Salty lardy bread spread. <laughs> what? <laughs> and that's when you're like, oh, Houston, <laughs> we, we might have a problem here. And so it was, you know, digging into culture, um, which was so interesting because uh, in China, you know, especially for for Chinese youth, spending your parents' money on a potential outlier project uh, product that you might not love is wasteful. It's disrespectful. Mm. And so it's how do you twist the familiar, but in a different, a different way, right? How do you build on themes and commonalities across cultures to make it not seem like such an outlier, right? Mm. To make it seem not so weird. And, and that's where I love when a strategy can be boiled down to a single word. And in this case, it was aromatics. Now, peanuts are prevalent in in Chinese cuisine, have been forever. Uh, That's nothing nothing new. And that's the point. It is nothing new. So if you could, when you open up that pack, that first first moment of truth is when the product's in your hand, the second moment of truth is when you smell it. It's also my favorite Procter and Gamble acronym SMOT. Mm-hmm. So, so when you have your SMOT moment for for Reese's, when you open up the pack, you smelled the peanuts. And yeah. so whether whether you called it peanut butter or made with peanuts or whatever it is, immediately, oh, chocolate plus peanuts. Oh, that's not so weird. It's just in a cool shape. Yeah. Well, there now you've got yourself a party, right? Yeah. There you go. You know, but I think a lot of brands. You know, and, and I worked on Diet Coke and, and other, you know, big, big global icons. But, you know, sometimes there's that thought that, you know, what worked in one culture is going to work in another. And and sometimes that's just not the case, right? And yeah. if you're going to develop brand loyalty, you've got to be able to, you know, speak their language, right? And and that that could change culturally based on wants and needs and what's familiar. And I think in that case, it's one of those adapt or die type of situations, right? If you want to keep pushing your square peg in a round hole, well, that's not, you're not going to win, right? If we went in saying peanut butter and and perfect, they would have said salty lardy bread spread and perfect. That's a huge aspirational Mm. overpromise, right? So it was taking that step back and doing the due diligence to make sure that we launched with excellence. We launched and felt good that we were going to succeed. Uh, And uh, what a fun project. Have you noticed with your current clients that this idea of brand stretch or twisting the familiar 
has had to play in the midst of the pandemic, right? Because I think a lot of companies are, they have a service or a product or a thing that they do, but like the environment in which it normally thrives has totally changed, right? Like either people, people can't come into the space or people, you know, there's, you know, there's uh, supply chain or, or shipping restrictions. Like talk a little bit about what you've been experiencing with Boundless and consulting brands with, you know, they have this same product, but like it's kind of different now because of the world they're they're in. Right, you know, uh, so to sort of twofold, you know, clients, I, I did some work for, for Chipotle and, and I'm so excited to see their Super Bowl spot. Um, <laughs> but uh, they pushed hard into delivery and yeah. the convenience of an app for delivery, you know, and you saw success with that with Drizzly, just get my wine and get it to me, which is very <laughs> pandemic friendly promise. But, you know, brands had to play in that system. And, and then you have to, to decide, you know, are you a franchise that has ghost kitchens, right? They just make the food and deliver it and that's it. And yeah. some, some QSRs went that way. Chipotle, they, they stood true to their values, right? The Super Bowl spot that they're airing is about supporting young farmers and about, you know, focusing on, on the supply chain, right? It's very future forward. And so I think it's about staying true to your, your values, but realizing that you do need to adapt or die. You do need to offer new ways for your consumers to enjoy and even access your, your product. Yeah. And, um, you know, certainly, you know, there's an app for that type mentality has been prevalent, but, you know, even with my work at Boundless, like, you know, it's been a minute since I've been in the back of a focus group, you know, f- freezing with the air conditioning and eating <laughs> the M&Ms behind the mirror. <laughs> so you, you also have to adapt to one-on-one interviews on Zoom with consumers or workshops yeah. and, you know, being able to change and pivot. And uh, I think all brands have to have to pivot, whether you're a, a QSR or a, a CPG or, you know, even a, a brand strategy consultancy, you just gotta, gotta bob and weave. Yeah, no. And I think, you know, what, what I think is hard sometimes, you know, cause I know so a lot of the listeners of the show are, you know, it might be a part of, you know, um, medium size, small size agencies. Um, you know, there's some, there's some, hopefully some big size agency listeners out there and, and people that, um, are starting to to hear about this, but you know, what do you say to somebody who's like, okay, I don't have a full time strategist on my team. I don't have this sort of this sort of thing you're talking about. Um, can you give us a little peek behind the curtain? Are there any like favorite tools or exercises or tips or tricks that you do to kind of you know get into ways to stretch a brand or to you know twist the normal or you know, push on those risks. Um, anything that you would recommend that people maybe would explore or, you know, any concepts in this book to say, hey, go buy this book because these concepts are really help to, to shape that thinking. Right. You know, I think that a, a lot of the concepts that, that Faith predicted, and, you know, it's funny before we spoke and just flipping through the book again, some of the ideas she had have not yet been realized and are <laughs> so on equity for the brand. She had some great ideas around Green Giant and using the, those characters and, you know, things that I, I wish these brands, I wish these brands would do. So, you know, I think there's there's a lot of a lot of runway like that. Um, but to answer your, answer your question, it's, it's, staying true to your brand's DNA, right? So let's take that green giant example with the characters, you know, uh, the giant and sprout. Staying true to, to what's recognizable and what gives people the warm and fuzzies about your brand. And then looking at culture and figuring out different ways that your equities can play in that world. And I think sometimes, I think that's kind of the magic of bringing in a consultant because they have fresh eyes, right? They haven't mm. been sitting on the data for so long. Uh, they they haven't been with the brand for 12 years and they don't have a story of, you know, it's this way for a reason, right? So they're, yeah. it's a fresh point of view. Um, I also think it's about, you know, taking a look at what's the want and need and desire or unf- unfulfilled uh, dream and and then figuring out how the the product can answer it and not vice versa. I think that sometimes marketers, it's just because we can, uh, doesn't mean you should, right? Not mm. every product needs to be made giant and made itty bitty and you know come in a lemon flavor. People don't like <laughs> lemon, you know. But uh, but but that tends to be uh, where a lot of brands kind of knee jerk because it's familiar. 
right? Yeah. So I think it's about really having fresh eyes when looking at trends and then looking at the category, you know, differently. And, and sometimes that means like taking me, picking up your head and going into new, new places and spaces, right? You're not always the consumer, right? The consumer isn't always that focus group of one or, well, my kid does it. So all kids do it. That's not true. Right. So I think it's about talking to people and and asking really interesting questions. And I think that, that, society at large would benefit from from that overall, right? Think if you didn't ask, what do you do? You asked, what have you done lately? You know, yeah. imagine the richness and depth and breadth of, of conversations you would have. And, and you wouldn't be talking about work. You'd be talking about culture. And I think that that curiosity, uh, I know it sounds simple, but that curiosity can really help brands stay relevant, right? And, and, and broaden their appeal and who they talk to and why they talk to them and, and look at groups that, you know, a product might be incredibly relevant for that they just hadn't looked at in that way yet. Right. And, um, or it's such a classic that, you know, these are all loyalists and and we're afraid of losing our loyalists. I'll give you a great example. I worked on head and shoulders and uh, it was, how do we attract women? Now at the time, it was a dandruff shampoo. It's an old man's brand. You know, no one wanted it seen in their showers, especially women. <laughs> shame, and, shame, shame. <laughs> but if you if you rearticulate the benefits and if you see the work today, they certainly have. And uh, it's about beautiful hair. And it's yeah. not about saying dandruff. It's about saying flake free. And your spokesperson is the voluptuous Sofia Vergara, right? Yeah. So that is pushing an iconic brand into new places and spaces by simply rearticulating the benefits to fit wants and needs, yeah. right? So I, I think that that's a, you know, a great story um, about how looking at things just a little bit differently, not just talking to the same, you know, dudes with dandruff, if you would. Yeah. Um, and now, it, you know, it became a billion dollar brand. So there's a, there's a lot of reward to taking risks and, you know, and brand stretch and just looking at things differently. Yeah, I'm seeing you and I felt like we felt this a little bit when we worked with you like you're con- you I feel like a, the strategist for people who don't have one on staff or or they want to know what it's like working with you like it's a little bit of like a mad scientist like you you kind of you kind of like went crazy. You kind of like lost yourself in the moment and you were just like there was like we have pages on file from you that I like just to sort through it. It's just like pages upon pages of just thoughts and insights and ideas and curiosities and you know all that sort of stuff so like i guess what what i'm what i took away from what you just said is if you if you aren't in a position to bring in the wonderful jessica um to partner with you that what you need to be doing is you need to to quit looking around for somebody else to do the work and as a creative director or an ecd put on your curiosity hat, dig into the interwebs, start asking big questions, start looking for trends, start looking at whatever data you can dig up and start asking yourself, could this be positioned differently? Could this be, could this exist in a different time in a different area? And and can you, you know, start to uncover something that starts to feel interesting or true? And then, you know, test that with your, with your team or your data. And then, you know, work work towards the things that appear and feel true or right like there's something behind it and then push on those insights to develop into a strong creative or a strategy for a client that's kind of what i'm hearing right like just kind of get in there and go for it is that is that true or am i crazy no absolutely i think a, a lot of it is about just rolling up your sleeves and and about being brave right sometimes people don't dig in different places and spaces because they're not sure what they'll find mm-hmm. right but if you take that fear out and you make it a game right you, you gamify the process and you're just calm with just curiosity i'm always surprised by by what you find and what you learn and you know what is triggering consumer swap out right? Product mm-hmm. to product. Or why, are, why aren't they aging up through your portfolio? You know, or wow, you're, the social just doesn't seem to be, be clicking along. You know, what can we do to get people more engaged? What are people interested in? How can our brand yeah. fit into that story? Right? Sometimes yeah. these are uncomfortable questions, uh, but they're incredibly relevant. And I, I honestly don't see how a brand could grow without asking them f- regularly. Yeah. 
Well, and I think, you know, I want to connect a couple dots. You, you mentioned this, you know, such a fierce female and icon. And you also, you know, I heard the term, you know, starting fresh. And that, that brought up to me, um, you know, you had a chance to start fresh and work with fierce female icons, i.e. Disney princesses. Is that, is that the case? So tell me a little bit about that work and how's the idea of starting fresh start to play out in, in, in the work you did there and, and how might that connect to other people's projects that they got going on right now? Oh, it's terrific. It's one of my, my favorite stories because I think it's it's so near and dear to my heart and, and honestly, little girls everywhere these days. But uh, when I was working with Mattel uh, back in the day, uh, they had introduced rescue heroes uh, for mm-hmm. boys, for, for, for play school, preschool boys. And that was firemen and policemen and it had these, these great, you know, backstories for the characters. And I, you know, kind of wide-eyed and naively asked, like, this is great. What do you have? for preschool girls. I'm like, oh, we have Barbie. I was like, Barbie's pretty, you know, curvaceous and she's got a hot boyfriend (laughs) and a sexy car and wears makeup. And that doesn't seem to be the same (laughs) as this, you know, whimsical, imaginative, very wholesome play pattern that you've got going on with rescue heroes. And so it was like, okay, you know, and, and we'd always heard once Barbie gets in the home, you can't get her out, right? You know, mm-hmm. kids age up, they don't age down, especially with toys, right? So, you know, it was, how do you, how do you give kids the the ability to to have these imaginative play patterns and, you know, lean into fantasy and trying on different personalities. And then for the parents, you know, especially now, right? Just keep your kids young, just a mm-hmm. little bit longer, right? Not so hardened, not so tech-driven, just this very magic age, right? And and that is that preschool age. And so it was working uh, with Mattel to create what then became the foundation for the Disney princess line, which was looking at these princesses that we all grew up with, right? But reimagining them into toys and and different play patterns and different ways to engage with really young girls. And, you know, at the the time, you know, aside, aside from Barbie, and I think historically, Little girl play patterns centered around being mommy, playing house, um, things things like that, right? But where's where's the fantasy in that? Where's the imagination, the creativity, right? And and that was what we wanted to to tap into. So it was, you know, looking at the assets which are rich and robust that Disney has, of course, uh, and being able to to twist those and, and push into new places and. Gosh, just like just like a Spike Seltzer, you know, you walk into a toy store and there's now a Disney Princess aisle, yeah. uh, which is pretty magical. And um, it just it was just such a fulfilling project to, to work on because it really does help shape girls' lives. You know, again, it goes back yeah. to that. You know, if you can see it, you can be it, right? And so, you know, how do you get more? you know, fierce, fun, female interaction out there. How do you yeah. get girls thinking thinking differently? Well, um, and they and Disney kind of had to think a little differently too because, you know, early on, I think, you know, the princesses still, you know, the, their narrative was driven by this prince, you know, and they've started to shape that Disney princess journey to be a little more about female empowerment. I mean, you look at, you know, uh, Rapunzel and you look at some of these new, uh, Disney princesses and the, and the stories they're starting to tell and the, the series and the little shorts where all of a sudden they're taking the power back and they're giving it to these princesses who are now, you know, like you think of, uh, Merida, you know, in Brave, these are like badass warriors, you know, you got, uh, Mulan, you know, you have, these sort of things. So that narrative is, you can see how that's evolved over the years as well. And so, you know, that you can see that somebody at Disney was saying, hey, we need to pivot because the future is female. <laughs> you know, like, let's let's be honest. The few, You know, I have two strong female leaders at my house. Uh, my daughter, who's going to be graduating high school, going into um, environmental studies at uh, the University of Cincinnati, and my wife, who's uh, the director of HR at a, at a law firm. So, you know, the future is very much now in my house is female, but I know the future in the workplace. I mean, as we see, I mean, you know, the, some of the best leaders, uh, most of the best leaders that I work with are 
or, you know, the equivalent of a Disney princess. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, somebody at Disney saw that. They saw the trends and they saw the marketplace and they saw leadership. I mean, look what's, you know, just happened, you know, with the elections. I mean, we have our first strong female African-American leader who's the vice president. So, um, you know, you can't, you can't live in a world where, um, where you need a prince to rescue you when, when you're sitting in the Oval Office. You don't need a prince. You're, I think you got that <laughs> under control. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Completely agree. <laughs> uh, I think yeah. I just got. I think I just got political for the first time on the show. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I don't want to offend anybody, but I, as a dad of a of a daughter who's you know getting ready to go into the world, uh, I don't. I got a little pumped up there for a minute. <laughs> well, now you under like it was such a fun fun project to work on for that reason because you know to be able to to fulfill that need and then to see how the insights that we came up with around toys right around play patterns has you know trickled into wow, okay, people are buying these toys for a reason. People are engaging with our brand in this new hands-on way. How do we bring these insights forward with Mulan and, you know, the Brave you mentioned? And there's just so many other other ways in. And uh, I, think, I think girls need that right now. So to be able to, yeah. have, you know, played even a small part in that um, was, was really gratifying. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. You know, it's been it's been such a great conversation talking about these things and some of the stuff we that, that people I think will get if they go and, and read this book that's still relevant today, even though the first edition was written, you know, a while ago. And obviously it's inspired you, but you know, I really want to hear a little bit about a little more about what you're doing right now with Boundless. I mean, you've created this this entity. You're you're now on your own, you're doing these these things. Um Give us a little more insight into what you're doing with Balance. What are you guys like? What are the what are the projects you're saying yes to? What are the projects you're saying no to? How can people really um, begin to engage with that work and what you're doing? Uh, terrific, thank you. Uh, so we've talked a lot about being bold and brave today, and uh, that is as our tagline. So be bold, be brave, be boundless. And so I started Boundless Brands in 2014 as a brand strategy consultancy uh, based in Brooklyn. And at the time when I first started, it was helping startups like Spike Seltzer, right? Helping startups have access to big agency thinking without the mercenary rates, right? Mm. To, to be able to, to, to impart that knowledge and to help with the positioning and product development and consumer profiles and, and you know, role to market. So that's how we started. Uh, over time, uh, I, I love working with big brands and icons, so we've you know stretched that to work with uh, Fortune 500 companies, and uh, even had the chance to to work with Faith Popcorn. So uh, I do believe in being able to to reach out to your your idols and icons, and um, that was uh, you know obviously such a such a thrill. A lot of respect for Faith. Uh, so Boundless is you know working with clients to just solve thorny business challenges. And, and mm. gosh, that, that really has changed uh, <laughs> over the past couple of years. So uh, some of the projects that we're working on now, uh, portfolio management, uh, vision articulation, what's your North Star? How is that gonna help guide decision-making, right? How do, you, how do you prioritize things? Like you need you know, a crisp vision that's very clear yeah. uh, working on that. Um, working on one-on-one call interviews on Zoom. So how is, how has the landscape changed? That's how it's changed for me, uh, is, is not eating the M&Ms with my blankie on in the <laughs> back of focus groups. Uh, but being able to, to work with, with brands, you know, again, big and small. And I think that's important to recognize is that, you know, sometimes small brands you know, feel almost sheepish that, you know, to your point, they don't have a strategist, you know, on staff and, and that's okay. You know, it's, it's, your brand grows and evolves as the world changes, as, as you learn more about what your consumers needs and as you're able to fulfill them. Right. And mm-hmm. so, you know, a lot of the things that big brands struggle with are the same thing small brands struggle with, you know, where do I put my money? You know, dollars are limited. Where do I place my bets? You know, how is this going to help me get my bonus? <laughs> Says a lot of CMOs, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so f- sometimes it is about getting, uh, adhering to near goals more than future goals. And I think that um, at Boundless, what we're great at is, is stretching the thinking and getting people to be bold and brave and, and, and think about the future because 
that's that's where you win, right? You know, with risk comes reward. If you're going to be a category creator like Spike Seltzer or, you know, reinvent how, how little girls play, you know, that takes clear decision-making. And, you know, I've been very lucky to, to play a part of that. Yeah. Wow. That was that was a great sort of summary there. And, and I just want to say that, you know, we experienced that. I mean, we had a great experience working with you and um, you helped us see some things that, you know, that, that we weren't seeing or that you helped sharpen the vision a little bit. And we were able to go and, and put together a, a killer presentation and we won that business. And, um, and so I just want to encourage people, you know, if you're, if you're, if you've never worked with a strategist before, if you've never really gone down that road and you're, you're wanting to change up how you do pitching or a creative or, you know, whatever that might be, um, you know, definitely, you know, reach out uh, to Boundless, reach out to Jessica and, and uh, you know, talk about what that could be. And, and she can help, you know, point things in the right direction and, um, and, and you can get those sort of insights. Um, how can people get a hold of you? So what's, let's, let's get into the nitty gritty. If somebody's like, oh. Hey, let's, let's work tomorrow. <laughs> like, do you just email you what uh, Instagram DMs? So, uh, uh, boundlessbrands.com. You can check me out. You can take a look at some proprietary tools and you can reach out to me right on that, that web address, or you can reach out at Jessica at boundlessbrands.com. Awesome. Well, there you have it, people. Uh, I mean, you've just you've, you've given us so much to consider and to think about. Again, this book, if you if you like some of the stuff we're saying, it's called the Popcorn Report by Faith Popcorn, and and she just she talks about this. It's I'm telling you guys, it's wild. Some of the predictions that she makes and the way she writes and thinks is just really good. It's going to get your minds spinning and churning about some different things. Um, so I, I highly recommend you you check that out. If you go to um, a quickreadpodcast.com, I have a link there with the book list. It's easy to find on Amazon. You can click and buy. I have um, you know some other things there you can check out uh, on that site. We are now fully live everywhere. You can you can check this out on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, and as always, if any of your platforms have an opportunity to rate or review, would love a great review from, uh, from all of you guys. And we can keep bringing you top tier thought leaders like Jessica, who are, you know, from around the world. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so, so back to New York, how, how are things there now? How, how are you guys holding up? Uh, so we were, this is going to sound so funny. We were lucky enough to get coronavirus, uh, February and March of last year. So, mm-hmm. so I, I still have my antibodies. I've been a convalescent plasma donor. Uh, so I, I feel kind of blessed in that capacity. Uh, obviously still, you know, eager to get a, a vaccine, but you know, we've been good. You know, we've, we've got a fun dog. We live across from a park and, you know, we, we genuinely like each other's company. So my backgammon game is fierce, <laughs> but, but we, we're, we're hanging in there. How, how about you? You're, you're enjoying your hot tub. I'm very jealous about that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we went ahead and, and bit the bullet on that when uh, we knew the, we knew we were going to be stuck in home for a while. So we had redone our patio and yeah, I got it, got the hot tub now. So I, I, I listened to some podcasts and, uh, and read books in there. So that's been nice, but yeah, we've, we've enjoyed our, our cocooning, uh, so to speak. And, um, we have, uh, we have really enjoyed our family time and just, you know, I mean, most days I get to hang out and eat lunch with my kids as they take a break from their virtual school. So we're still, we're still in the whole, you know, everything from home situation. Um, but again, I think we've really enjoyed it. We've, we've instituted things like Thursday night game night where we watch really cheesy, um, game shows on TV, like, uh, Wheel of Fortune and the chase and, uh, and the hustler. And, um, and it's just, it's just fun, man. We're just kind of enjoying being like just family, you know? So it's been really good. I love it. I also love that you you managed to to weave in a term faith coined cocooning. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's one thing, you know, in uh, you know, that's one of the things you're you're going to find as you read this book like, you know, I guess just for those that maybe don't know that term, just like give us a quick sort of recap on this idea she proposed and then like literally how that's like all people are talking about right now. Yeah, it's, it's so crazy. So uh, she had come up uh, with seven, uh, 17 durable lenses in which to see the world, right? Evolution being one of them. And that's how fierce females are, are bubbling into culture. Uh, and one of them, another one was cocooning, which is, 
you know, the idea of it takes on many shapes. So it could be home delivery or shabby chic decor or uh, those big fluffy blankets that everyone needs right now. And so mm-hmm. it's just interesting to see the language that that she created in naming these durable lenses and then looking at culture through these lenses and seeing all the different examples that percolate, right? Um, yeah. So cocooning was one of them. And I think I was in like West Elm or something and I saw them talk about cocooning. I just laughed because it's just so, so relevant now. And in fact, I feel like we're, we're a little saturated on that term these days. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, not only that, but I mean, during, during COVID, a lot of businesses kind of went into that cocoon mode of like, okay, like now's the time for us to like, look at ourselves, reinvent ourselves, get smarter, get faster, get better. So that when we emerge out of this, we're this sort of new, uh, this new species. Yeah, I mean, look at look at Disney, right? So everyone thought, oh my gosh, the poor mouse, the theme parks are done, cruises are done. And they said, yeah, hold my beer, I'm gonna launch streaming. So, yeah. you know, it's about thinking about brand stretch, what we talked about today and new places and spaces. And, you know, what a cool time we're in now because, you know, Disney, obviously huge, Disney streaming isn't available yet in parts of, of uh, Europe and, and most of Asia. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that people around the world want to introduce their kids to, you know, Disney classics and Marvel and Star Wars and The Simpsons and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, while people are saying, oh, my gosh, what about the theme parks? I think if you really look ahead at the future, ah, I think I think people people love their entertainment. And I think once that mouse is in the house, he's not going to leave. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I know we have it. Well, I can tell you this much, man. I I just appreciate you so much. And I know that, you know, as a fierce female, bold leader in the advertising space, um, if you were a Disney princess, your superpower would be that you could see what's just around the corner. And uh, your your ability to sort of predict trends in future would give you the power to uh, manifest your kingdom. And so... Uh, I want to say thank you so much for all that you do and, and being a good friend to me. And I want to encourage everybody to go check out Boundless, go connect with you, um, read this book. And man, um, I think 2021 is going to be an exciting year. And I think that if we all um, really start to think about stretching uh, and taking risks and starting fresh, um, amazing things can happen. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And I, I hope to have a beer with you soon and maybe check out the <laughs> Apollo again. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I, it's on my list. As soon as we're allowed to travel and everybody feels good, I'm, I'm coming to, to New York to hang out with friends and catch up with everybody. I, I miss you guys. Oh, we miss you too, man. Well, thanks again. All right. We'll talk soon. And uh, everyone listening, thanks so much. Um, check us out all, all on the internet. A quick read podcast. Uh, it's been a heck of a time. Y'all have a great day. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, head over to iTunes or Spotify and give us a great rating and review. A Quick Read is a Leap Group podcast.